good to have you here, and I hope you're happy to be here this morning. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for this time and this opportunity we have to, to love you, to worship you, Lord God. Thank you for bringing us together. Lord, we do have a choice to make. We make choices every day, Lord God. The choice to be, to choose you or choose ourselves. Choose being optimistic or choose to, to Lord, live in fear. Choose to come to church or, or choose to stay home and sleep in. But Lord God, it's good to be here. Good to be along among your people, Lord God, to, to hear your word proclaimed, to hear songs that just nourishes our hearts. Lord God, I thank you so much. Continue to speak to us, Lord. Use me as your messenger. Allow the words that I speak, Lord, to come from you and you alone. And let all of us that have ears hear what we have to say. Hear what you have to say. Holy Spirit, come. In the blessed name of Jesus, we pray. Let the children of God say amen. Uh, well, we've been reading through the Bible uh, and studying the Bible since August, and we've been using a, a wonderful resource uh, called The Story by Randy Frazee uh, and Max Lucado. Uh, they've taken the Bible and, and condensed it and really put it in chronological form. Uh, and and it's, we've had a wonderful time studying this uh, since August. Now, let me just say, this, is, this does not take the place of your Bible. Uh, this is uh, filled, it is filled with Scripture, and it's primarily Scripture. However, uh, your, your Bible is authoritative. There's a lot of stuff that they had to leave out to condense this, to put this in this form. Uh, but they've done a wonderful job, and we've been using this resource. And, and I encourage you to, to get a copy and to read through it. We're on chapter 25 this week, and we're, we've been talking about Jesus' life the last few weeks. Uh, but chapter 25 begins with essentially what is Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 27. And Jesus and his disciples are heading up to, uh, Jesus has taken his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. That's how it begins. Now, uh, I've said over and over again, when the Bible uh, gives a name of a location or of a space of any kind, uh, there's typically good reasons uh, for that. And here, Jesus is taking his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. This is one of those great examples of the backdrop that Jesus chooses, the backdrop of Caesarea Philippi, to, to, to ask the questions to his disciple, who do people say that I am? The backdrop of Caesarea Philippi is where Jesus chose to ask this question. Who do people say that I am? Why is that significant? Why is that important? Well, Caesarea Philippi is in the northern part of the, the nation of Israel. It's in the northern one. The kingdom of Israel, Israel divided. It was in the northern part of the northern part. It was on this major international highway. So there was major influences of all kinds in this one area. It was a Roman city. And it was an intentional Roman city for a place of worship of Roman gods. Uh, there was this, there's this, 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 this um, cliff facing that, that uh, they built... Uh, many temples and places, uh, beautiful temples, to worship their uh, false gods. Uh, and I've got a picture of what it looks like. One picture, leave it on this for just a second. Uh, this huge cave here, you see this, this cliff facing, it's, it's just uh, enormous. It just keeps going. You see the little people there. But that big, huge black space, uh, is, it really looks like an abyss when you look into it. Uh, and water is coming from that area. And, and they used to, they actually uh, would make human sacrifices 
uh, into that, that cave. Uh, they would throw, uh, sacrifice a human in that, that cave and that water. And if the, the body disappears, they would think that the God uh, saw that sacrifice as a pleasing and worthy sacrifice. However, if there was blood that showed up in the water, they would believe that this particular sacrifice they just made, this human being's life, was not worthy of the God. Uh, and so they had to make another sacrifice. But it was that sort of mind frame. Here's another picture of it uh, more closely. Uh, that there was, there's another, they, they, they dug out uh, these, these areas, and this is where they would put images and idols uh, on this cliff facing. So there was, there was just this whole cliff facing was, was dedicated to f- these false gods that people driving by, uh, driving by, walking by, traveling by would see this, this huge area. But, but here's a rendering of what it looked like. The next picture. Here's a rendering. Uh, this is the actual kind of the plaque there uh, near it to kind of give an explanation. So you have that huge cliff facing and there's that, that one on the far uh, left is the one with the, the, the cave in the back. Uh, that was actually uh, a temple, uh, uh, a place for Julius Caesar for the, uh, uh, to go there and, and, and give him honor. Uh, and the back of it was, uh, was where they would make the sacrifices. But, but you see there's one, two, three, four, five. There's actually seven different... Uh, 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 that's another artist rendering. Uh, that's not what it looks like today. Uh, but they had, they had temples. And I'm going to read that plaque. There's a temple uh, for Augustus. The grotto of the Pan, uh, god Pan, the court of Pan and the nymphs, the temple of Zeus, the court of Nemus, the tomb and temple of sacred goats. They actually had a sacred goat god that they would go and, and, and worship and sacrifice to. Uh, they also had a temple of Pan and the dancing goats. They had a dancing goat god. That makes sense to me, doesn't it, you? I mean, a dancing goat, yeah. But this is, this is the, the, the place, this is the image, this is the background that Jesus brought his disciples intentionally to this spot, a place where, where in the, as Jesus asked, I'm sure I get the image of Jesus standing there and, and to his back as, Jesus, as the disciples are looking at Jesus, this is what they saw. Various different gods, of, 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 of places of worship of, of false gods. Beautiful marble temples. What's the backdrop? And Jesus asked his, his disciples, Who do people say that I am? You have all these options of places to worship. So who do you say that? Who do people say that I am? Well, well, quickly, the disciples begin to, to number a ramble off of all these responses. I mean, the disciples. They said, the disciples said, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. And all others, well, well there's others say that you're a prophet. They, they started naming all these things. They said the disciples. So, so they were all eager to say who other people say. Now, folks, you know, it's, it's real easy to say what other people think. I hear all the time, you know, you know, somebody's saying this about you, Roger, somebody's saying this, or somebody's saying that, and, and they're always somebody else. So when you're talking about somebody else's opinion, it's real easy for you to come forward and share. And then Jesus turns to him and says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? What do you say about this situation? No, I don't care what other people are saying right now. Now I want to know what you think. Who do you say that I am? 
And I can just imagine before Peter responded, there was a moment of silence. Wait, you just asked me about other people. Now you want to know what I think. Uh, that's a little personal to Jesus. Uh, I can imagine the disciples kind of standing back and kind of, well, um, if they had pockets, kind of, uh, well, um, stumbling for words. And then it says Peter responded. Peter, of course, you would think Peter responded. And Peter said, and Peter responded, he said, well, you are the Messiah. But again, I try to imagine what that moment would be like. Here, the backdrop of the cliff facing. Peter is saying it to Jesus. Well, you're the Messiah. How did he say it? Well, you're the Messiah. Or did he proclaim it in such a manner that it, it, it reverbed and, and echoed off of the cliff facing for everybody to hear it? You are the Messiah! So that the people around that are worshiping the dancing goat would actually hear that and proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. How did he say that? How convinced, how much authority, how vocal? Did he want only Jesus to hear it, or did he want everybody around to hear it? I, I just try to imagine that. But see, I, I'm sure, I'm certain that the disciples had thought about this before this date. I'm sure the disciples, before they gave up their well-being, before they gave up their job, before they gave up fishing, while they were following Jesus, they thought about, who is this man? I'm sure, I mean, for instance, when, when Jesus came to them walking on water, I mean, I'd ask myself, who is this guy? Walking on water? You know, it says when that other boat incident on the water, when, when Jesus was in the boat with them and, and Jesus calmed the seas and the storm, it says the disciples started asking themselves, who is this guy that can calm the sea? They were there when, when he fed 5,000 people from a little boy's lunch. Wouldn't you have been asking yourself, who is this man that took a little boy's lunch? I mean, Two fish and five loaves of bread and fed all these people. There's food left over. Surely they would have been asking them this question. They were there when, when, he, when he drove the animals and the money changers out from the temple. They've been asking this question, who is this man? And Jesus gave an opportunity for them to respond directly to them, to him. See, I believe this is a question that is faced by all thoughtful people when it comes to Jesus. Who do we say he is? And as we live in a place where, much like Caesarea Philippi, I mean, don't we really? How many feelings are there about Christ and about Jesus? And how many other religions and false gods are placed before us each and every day that we seek to serve over or instead of Christ? I mean, we live in, in Caesarea Philippi, and, and that question is posed to us. And we find that in chapter 25, the story entitled, Jesus, the Son of God. So I want to examine a, a few things. I think, that, I think the response of who Jesus is is widely varied uh, as it was back then, as it is now. I think it's widely varied. Um, and I want to get real for just a second. I'm always real, but I want to really get real. Talk about something that might make you uncomfortable. I mean, let's consider that Jesus was simply a good man. He's a good old boy. He was a good man, a decent fellow, a good old boy, right? 
After all, he was a really great man. I mean, he, he gave us the, the golden rule. And you know the golden rule. Do unto others as... as do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Am I the only one that know that? You know that. I know you know that. You're a good person, right? Jesus was a good person. He lived by that, right? That's a quintessential of being a good guy. But Jesus also befriended the poor. He, he, he hung out with people that were downtrodden, that needed help, and he loved them. He cared for them. I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a great guy. He was a good old boy. But, but is this all that Jesus was? Was he like Mother Teresa? Is he really just a wonderful human being? If this is all who was, then why would he keep uh, uh, asserting that he was more than that, that he was the Son of God? I mean, he, he, he constantly said, I am. He referred to himself as I am over and over again to de describe himself. And you may recall that in the Old Testament, this is how God, when Moses asked God, who do you want me to say you are? Who, who, who are you? And God said, I am. The great I am. I mean, Jesus made another I am statements about himself. He says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus said that I, uh, when uh, Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have a great life. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now this is, I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. Does that sound like a good old boy to you? Somebody says, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That, that sounds like a, if it is a good old boy, it's, ah, it begins to raise some questions. Jesus said that I, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, uh, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus is speaking in the very same way that the, God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. So, so someone, simply a good man, does not go around claiming, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, uh, that someone really sounds more like a deranged lunatic or, or, or some sort of demented fool, right? Well, let's consider, is Jesus a deranged lunatic or a demonic fool? Is that maybe what he is? I mean, he was a good boy, but he was saying these strange things. So maybe, maybe he's a lunatic. Maybe that's it. In this view, I mean, the greatest influencer in the world was, was it mentally disturbed? Really? Now, the religious leaders at Jesus' time probably would agree to this. I mean, but when, when lunatics talk and when lunatics begin to lead, it usually other lunatics begin to follow. I mean, let's be real here. However, demented fools don't lead like Jesus led, nor do they really teach like Jesus taught. There was one time when Jesus was teaching in the temple, and there was such a huge crowd in the temple, they all crammed in to listen to Jesus teach. And he was teaching. Well, his enemies ordered guards to go and arrest Jesus. 
When the guards got to the temple and noticed the huge crowd, it was very difficult for them to get to Jesus. So they began making their way through the crowd. It was very, again, packed. As they were making their, the guards were making their way through the crowd, they were listening to Jesus' teaching. And as they get closer to Jesus, they slow down. Eventually, the guards return back to their, their uh, uh, the commanders and, and explain, listen, we didn't arrest Jesus. And they said, why? Why didn't you arrest Jesus? Why not? And the guards replied, no one ever spoke the way this man spoke. This is in John chapter 7, verse 46. So no one ever spoke this way, this man. I, 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 this guy's different. See, Jesus stunned people with his, his authority and his clarity. He was not a, mind, a man of a deranged mind. Jesus made people better. People didn't just like Jesus. They loved him. They left their homes and their businesses to follow him. And they gave up their lives to follow him. Jesus inspired prostitutes and, and philanthropists and, 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 the, and just everyone in between. And they were better human beings for following him. He, he turned common fishermen, not that fishermen can't be brilliant, but common fishermen, he turned them into the fathers of the greatest movement in the world. This doesn't sound like a mind of a deranged lunatic or a demented fool for people to follow him like they did. So maybe the third possibility, maybe he was a, maybe he's a really good fraud. Maybe he was a really good pie piper. Maybe he's a really good liar, right? I mean, that is a popular view. But maybe he was really good at, at healing the blind. But this view, Jesus was a mastermind of the greatest scheme of the history of mankind. He was deceiving fraud who, who out-Ponzi Charles Ponzi and, uh, and Bernie Madoff. He swindled us and he swindled millions of people who followed him. He was just a, he was just a great liar. However, however, the miracles of Jesus performed, and there were over 36 recorded in the Bible, proved that he was more than just a fraud. The miracles alone proved that he was more than just a fraud. Uh, uh, about 120 A.D., a historian, Quadratus of Athens, sent these words in defense of Christians to the emperor. He wrote this. He said, But the works of our Savior were always present, for they were genuine. Those that were healed and those that were raised from the dead who were seen not only when they were healed and when they were raised, but, also, uh, but were also always present. And not merely while the Savior was on earth, but also after his death. They were alive for quite a while so that some of them lived even to our day. This was in 120, so less than 100 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, some were still living, still giving testimony. I mean, let, let me stress something. These fraudulent healings cannot stand up to the light of scrutiny. If a healing wasn't real, then those who claimed to be healed would, would not stick around. They'd go hide, nor would they would be willing to share what had happened. But no, these were actually, 
These are brothers and sisters. A brother who I've known all my life to have been blind. A sister that I've known to be sick. A, a cousin that I've known to have leprosy for many, many years. Healed. I knew that they had leprosy. You saw they had leprosy. They don't have leprosy anymore. You know why? Because of Jesus Christ. That was a message that they shared. That was a testimony that went out. If you knew that man was lying and was not really blind, you would say it, you would share, and you would uh, pour out that fire uh, as quickly as you could. And they couldn't hold up to it either. But for decades after, these people who had been healed by Jesus or had been set free from demon oppression would bear witness to what their Savior had done for them. If they had not been willing to testify to what Jesus had done for them, the church would have died in its infancy. One of the most powerful witnesses of who Jesus Christ was is what he did. Was the historically, uh, historically documented explosion of the new church. I mean, when you think about it, Jerusalem in those days was filled with people who could testify. I was blind, but now I see. I was lame, but now I walk. I had leprosy. And God healed me. Not only that, but, but these fishermen and these people that lived around him, that, that worked with him, that followed him, that once Jesus left, ascended into heaven, left, they were willing to go to the far reaches of the world and die for what they witnessed. Not just one or two, but, but multiples. We're willing to die. Now, now, would you be willing to die for that which you knew was fake? Was a lie? No. Jesus was not a fraud. He was a man who not only performed these miracles, but who loved people with passion. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, what does Jesus think of us? That answer is found on a... On a hill in Jerusalem and a man hanging on the cross the defined answer to the question is what does Jesus think of you let me share it with you it's found in chapter 26 in the chapter called the hour of darkness in our story and you're going to read and I invite you and I encourage you to read that this next week between now and then I, I encourage you to set aside time I know you have a busy calendar. I understand that. But set aside time to read this. In your own Caesarea Philippi, to read this chapter and consider, who do you say I am? When Jesus asks you that question, who would you say Jesus is? See, I realize you may have, have answered, asked that question many years ago, but it, but it really never hurts to, to go back and revisit that. I mean, you may think that, that your answer is still the same. You know, I, I answered that question long ago. Jesus is this. Then I want to encourage you to look at the way you live. Look at your life. Does your life demonstrate what your belief is in who Jesus, what you proclaim Jesus is? If you proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, how do you live your life? How do you live your time? How do you live your day? Check your checkbook and your checking account your savings account 
and let that be concrete ways of looking to what is really important to you and who you really say Jesus is. Who do you say I am? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to me except through the Father. You know, I, I have uh, said it many times. I would love to learn how to play the piano. I would love to be able to play the guitar. I, I grew up listening to guitar, and I, I would love to be able to play the guitar. But you know what? I'm 51 years old. I've had a lot of time to, play, to learn how to play the piano and a lot of time to learn how to play the guitar, and I've never learned. So do I really, really would love to play the guitar? No, I'd like to. It'd be fun. That's not a love of mine because it's not where I put my time and my effort and my energy. The statement, the question Jesus asked of his disciples is one that he asked of us. Who do you say that I am? It's a personal question. I can't answer that for you. Each of us make the choice, make the decision, decides how we live it out in our lives, where we spend our time, how we spend our time loving others, caring for others, giving, helping, serving, supporting. It's demonstrated in how we live our life. But may we answer like Peter answered, that, Lord, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are my Messiah. You are the Lord of my life. You are the one that my mind goes to when I wake up in the morning. You are the one, Lord, that I go to when, when times are tough and when times are good because I recognize those are all blessings from you. Then in the deepest storms of my life, God, you are with me. You are in that boat with me. So that when I get to the other side, I'm going to have a testimony to share with my struggles. God, you have never left me. You are the one I think when I experience all things in life. And you are the one that fills my life with joy. You are my Messiah. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, as we come before you this day, for this precious time of the year, Lord God, that you ask the same question as you asked the disciples many years ago lord lord you have brought us to this point this time in our life lord god when we are surrounded by temples by false gods we're surrounded with beautiful marble temples lord god that look so appealing we, we we're surrounded with the world that 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 just that calls us to 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 certain certain false gods lord god but may we look to you with full confidence and proclaim you as our Messiah. Holy Spirit, come. May we not only proclaim, but may we live out our calling. Holy Spirit, come. Bless the name of Jesus, we pray. Let the children of God say amen.